Critical Geeks are back again. Ryan, we've had a very entertaining we've had a very entertaining day. I made you sit down. We'll get on to some actual subjects, but I made you sit down and watch a Neil Breen film today. Neil Breen's Twisted Pair. It, well, that sounds like a different movie entirely, but <laughs> Hello, by the way. Welcome to the Group of Geeks Podcast. I'm Neil Dealey. This is Ryan Perro, one of the reviewers at Game Hype. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still in a state of what the hell just happened after the Neil Breen movie. Um, if you're not aware of Neil Breen, he's one of these so bad they're good film directors. No, he's in, not. So bad they're bad. Same. Tommy was so. I never thought I'd be sat somewhere talking about how the room's a better movie than anything. <laughs> well, here I am. Right, we had two movies to choose from for Neil Breen. So they're both on Amazon for like £8. I had to buy this movie. I couldn't rent or access this movie. I had to physically buy and own this movie. There was um, Fateful Findings, which was a movie about a man doing wonderful things for the government and evil powers. And there was Twisted Pair about a man who becomes a super being and his twin becomes a super being doing wonderful things and good things for the government. So a lot of sort of messiah complexes going on. Why don't you explain the plot of well, Twisted Pair? You've just described both movies, and I'm not sure which one we saw of those two because <laughs> it made such little sense. Okay, explain the plot. Here we go. Neil Breen is a twin, and they're chosen by some kind of otherworldly being to be given superpowers and... Neil Breen's brother. What's Neil Breen's character called? Kale. Cade. Cade. Cade and Kale, which are two terrible choices to name. Was it Cade? Yeah, I think it was. Whatever he was called. Yeah. You got good Breen and bad Breen. That's what I'm going to call it. But if we can't remember the names of the characters, it's not that we weren't paying attention. I think it's because you you not told them. You weren't really told them as much, much, but we were definitely paying attention, at least trying to. You you had a lot of exhibition exhibition exposition for the first five minutes where. Neil Breen on his famous green screen told you everything that was going on. But basically, twins are chosen by otherworldly being and given superpowers. But Neil Breen's brother misuses those powers or does something to anger the otherworldly being. It's not really very well explained. And as his powers taken away. But Neil Breen, good Breen, he doesn't. He's no virtuous Breen. Breen? I can't even talk. Virtuous Breen. He keeps his powers and he's part of some world-spanning agency. But he doesn't need a weapon because he is the weapon. He, he says that very cliche line at one point. Several the times. Yeah. Um, but carries a gun. Oh, and oh the holsters. Oh, yeah. That bit triggered me. He, so there's a part where he's, after explaining that he doesn't need a weapon because he is a weapon, he sits down in a room with his boss, who you only ever see from the side, like profile, which is really weird. And he puts two guns on the table. Neither one he took from a holster. Then proceeds to take off a jacket holster and put it down. And I was like, why weren't they in the holster? And why has he got them if he doesn't need them? It's one of... Basically, it's one of a lot of questions that don't get asked. Well, and there was, a lot of, there was a lot of answers to questions we never, we never asked for. I'm just, you asked me to explain the plot. And yeah. I'm like, that's ba- basically, that, what I've told you, is the first five minutes of exhibition that they dump on you. The rest of the plot is there's an evil group... And it's some kind of empire, a crudge empire, whatever mm. we call them. And AI and technology, and there's vague references to them being bad for some reason. And they can 
make AI, but then half of the movie they start mentioning AI and talk about a matter, like a sort of matter that they can make anything they want from. Yeah, like basically manipulate matter to change it. So you could turn like a tea bag into a diamond or whatever, or a diamond into a sexy bitch because that's what was in in the movie with well. fairy wings. Yeah, she was clearly meant to be like a Bond girl, sort of babe or a piece of eye candy. Which was funny because at the end of the movie, when the credits roll, and trust me, that doesn't come soon enough. She, her character is apparently called Winged Muse. Yeah. And I was like, what did she inspire? At one point, she disappears and diamonds are left in her shoes. And it was like, wait, was she made of diamonds? Is that what they did with the man? She inspired standing around half naked. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to say it's worth watching because it certainly isn't worth the eight pounds you spent on it. Well. Do you, yeah. you know when you watch movies like The Da Vinci Code or A Great Mystery Yes. and the intrigue is in the plot with this movie the plot is the mystery so it's like what's going on well, yeah when he says the plot's the mystery I mean now what's happening why is this happening why is just why you say the word why a lot because there's scenes where you you're kind of having to put two and two and two and two together you have no idea what's going on at times. It's no. very lightly implied. Like when he's so at one point he's sneaking around. He's <laughs> sneaking around the evil facility that is clearly a college that he's been allowed to film at midnight because the college is the set location for Alleyway Street, good government facility, evil facility, the restaurant he hires out, yeah, and his house and other people's houses. It's clearly the same identical location. What's great, though, is to emphasise the difference of location between good facility and bad facility. Every time he goes to the bad facility, it cuts to a shot of the lobby that has four guys in balaclavas holding rifles, which I just didn't... Know th to me, those shots were like a different film, right? Someone had just randomly put them in. And that's <laughs> Neil had picked up on the fact that, no, I think that's to say that these guys have got guns, therefore they're guards, it's the bad facility. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. But the, the, the place where it's at the college campus, there's still like posters and like little leaflets from the college stuck on windows. Like, why is there a random win like sign about a prom on the window of this evil base? You would have to imply that the college is a cover <laughs> for the evil base. You know, there isn't evil films. So like a game, you know, mansion, laboratory underneath, police station, laboratory underneath. It's got to be the same. It has in, to be, in I education. I mean, the movie doesn't tell me anything otherwise, so I guess it must be. <laughs> But my favourite part of when he's sneaking around this this lab, I called it browsing halfway through the movie because this spy, you don't know what he's looking for. At no point does the movie actually show you what you should be looking for. There's no scene where it's like, you need to find a goobida what's it that looks like this. So you as an audience know what he should be looking for. He just enters the laboratory and starts picking up random items and looking at them and then putting them back down. So like, he's just browsing. What's he doing? And he doesn't actually find anything. And he's like, oh, I'm going to end this. But there's two, there's two scenes where he blows up a base. He blows up two places. But the first one is like, I'm going to put an end to their plans and blows up a base. And then later on in the movie, he goes, I'm going to end this and blows up a base. And I was like, didn't you already it's end it? the same it? place. Hey, but he, he has a conversation with the bad guy and he's pretending to be like an art dealer. So it's very James Bondesque. He's undercover, yeah. yeah. It's very James Bondesque. He goes to speak to this... Okay, you have... Oh God, it's... 
So we do an awful job explaining this movie, but I don't feel that's our fault. I feel like it's the movie's fault. We're doing as good a job as anyone the, other than the, Neil Breen could the, do to explain the, it. The evil bad guy is a bald guy in a pink and white scarf that changes colours at one point. And again, there's no implication why. I think it's meant to be he uses this matter to create a colour-changing scarf. Then he pretends to be man, art dealer, has a conversation with a guy who's clearly a completely different actor playing the same character. And there's like, you know, the sexy lady in the bikini and the glue on wings she got from a Halloween store. <laughs> He's got diamonds. And for some reason, the bad guy's voice is distorted. So they put like a sound distortion on it to make it sound like, you know, in, you know, in like crime dramas when the person's voice needs to be blurred out so they don't hide their yeah. identity. It's that. Then... For no reason, after sneaking out of the uh, facility, he has a conversation with a load of people sitting down, not moving, dressed like the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Who like, were they supposed to be AIs? I don't know. And those VR people that were standing in front of the screen. Oh yeah, they're VR helmets. What were they no doing? Reason. And awkwardly walked out, where probably not to bump over things because they, they couldn't see anything. But they didn't do anything. No. And oh, the dialogue. Oh, good lord, the dialogue in this movie. There was actually very little dialogue. Good. <laughs> because the dialogue that was there was awful. It was like the, the monster, the alien creature man, is all like, we are in control. And then Neil Brun's like, you're not in control. We won't let you be in control. See, I'm putting more emphasis <laughs> on doing the bad performance now than he does in the movie. Let me flatten my voice. Like, like, you're not in control. We're in control. We won't let we you won't be in control. We won't stand for it. And then... But there's no like middle ground of, oh, he's been found out. He just basically runs in the room and goes, you're not in control, and then runs out again. And then the next time you see the bad guy, it's the first actor. So there are two different people in different orders playing the same character. Yeah. And at no point do you see Neil Breen directly confront that character. But at the end of the movie, there's like a dun-dun-dun sting moment where... There's like a bloody, a bloody hand touches some diamonds and it's clearly meant to be the bad guy. Mm -hmm. But at no point have they established that that bad guy has been in danger at any point because he's not in the lab when Neil Breen blows it up. No, he runs away. You actually see him running away with his diamonds. The, uh, oh, how did he get hurt? Whose blood is it? Is it his blood? Is it someone else's blood? I don't blood? know. Maybe it's the, the sexy lady's blood, but she turns into a shoe. Remember? No, she turns into a shoe. She's in shoes, and then she goes Why away. Why did the shoes stay and there? Then there was some diamonds in the shoes. Why did the shoes stay there? I don't know. Maybe you need diamonds for their mouth. Oh, like maybe they, scarf. For some diamonds. reason, when she disappears, she's showing clips of a ne another Neil Breen film. Was she watching his film? I don't know why she would have been. So, <laughs> but yeah. So it was a bizarre film, but the best scene in the movie to me was a well a three way tie between. Hobo in the alleyway with the fake rats. <laughs> I love yeah. that bit. He was yeah. my favourite character. Um, the restaurant scene. Yeah, which was just the outside cafeteria with zero set dressing. It was just metal tables like, and imagine, imagine like some tables and metal chairs from like a, a baguette place at 10 o'clock at night with no napkins, restaurants, anything to just say that is a restaurant thing. And he's outside and he says, I bought this whole restaurant out for you tonight, darling. And they laugh about how amazing the food is. Surely, Ryan, you would have someone walk over and go, hello, may I take your order? Ooh, Mr. Ryan, the restaurant's all yours tonight. I mean, 
I mean, like, dance, I can't really go on any dates. But next time I might go to a park and sit on a bench and be like, I've rented this whole park for you. Because there's no one around to argue with me. She doesn't know I'm lying. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, yeah, you, any anyone would competently say, OK, we've got to make it look like a restaurant and have a, a waiter come out and say restauranty things or have some restaurant noise. The whole movie's ADR'd as well. There's so many sound effects put in. But he could have put restaurant, some music. What if a guy comes out with, like, a violin and a candle. Well, Anything romantic. The worst part is that he ADR scenes that are basically two people sat next to each other, really close in shot, that the mic probably would have picked up. Then there's a whole bit of conversation that's like an exterior shot from about 50 foot away of a building while he's walking through a courtyard. At one point he walks behind some bushes and you can't see him. You were like, where is he, Ryan? I was like, look at the hole in the bush, you can see his leg. But he doesn't ADR any of that dialogue, so you actually can't hear anything that's said for that scene. You just no. can hear like indistinct mutterings. And the final, the third scene, I would say, that is the best scene of the movie, is when the evil twin, who has this drug-addled girlfriend... Yeah, I guess. They start slapping each other in the face. That is the best bit of the movie. Yeah. Um, they start arguing over drugs and money, and she only wants the drugs and the money. And they start punching each other with the most light, I don't want to hit you, but I want to kind of look like I'm trying... You know, like play fighting. Play fighting's more violent than that. And then he ADRs these terrible, like... Bonk! <laughs> like Batman and Robin yeah. specs. And then at one point, like she falls off the bed and takes about... 20 seconds to fall off the bed head first yeah, with I mean, her legs dangling in the air like a Looney Tunes cartoon. I'm not a professional stunt person, but I'd take a bump off a bed. Like, it's two foot in the air, who cares? <laughs> My favourite part of that scene, though, she's technically the most honest character in it because Evil Breen is evil and, you know, being deceitful things. You yeah. call him honest or good or a good person. Good Breen is a spy and that's, you know, crafty and deceitful and he's working for someone's gender. He's... Good Breen's girlfriend's a traitor. Spoilers, you'll care. <laughs> but drugged up woman is the most honest person in the movie because Bad Breen gets home and she goes, I don't want you, I just want the drugs and money. And then like, it's like, cut what? She's up front and then he slaps her around a bit. But hang on, who's the, the, the woman who runs up to normal Breen thinking he's evil Breen? She's like, oh... <laughs> so he's walking through the street. And at no point in this movie is there any kind of twin, <laughs> twin... You know, like the normal thing of like, oh, the twin, the evil twins doing evil things and making the good brain look bad. That to me is like an obvious plot point. So he's walking through the, the street in the same outfit he wears for the whole movie, his leather jacket and tiny little vest. And a woman rups up, runs up to him and is like, where have you been? Where's your beard? <laughs> I tell you what, let's reproduce the scene. <laughs> let's reproduce the scene. Am I, am I woman or? You'll be woman, uh, yeah. You'll be woman. So like, Neil Breen's walking through the street. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing? What? 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 Hang on, I've got to do a little meal, Brian. What are you talking about? I still have Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I just have to be Tommy Where's Wiseau. your beard gone? I've never had a beard! <laughs> you need to see it to understand. He gets so angry about being told that he's had a beard. He does. Very angry. But he, but he doesn't seem to have ever seen his brother since... I don't know, when they were children. What? But he keeps having images where they're hugging... I wouldn't say hugging each other. They're like leaning <laughs> their arms in CGI next <laughs> to each other. They're my favourite bits because it's basically... he's Obviously, Neil Breen is only one person in, in real life. But to establish that they're both in the scene, he basically shot one half of the scene as bad Breen and then would take his fake beard off and shoot the other half of the scene as good Breen and then composite the two shots. But rather than film both and composite it so that they're both moving so you at least look like they're in the same scene together, 
he freeze frames the one of the breams, whichever one's not moving, and then has the other one like move to put an arm around the other breen, and it's it's the worst looking thing I've ever seen. You know when you know when guys at conventions have photos of like booth babes. And they want to put their arm around them, but it's like hovering. Yeah, <laughs> that's more that's more realistic <laughs> looking. Um, it's like the eagle. weird thing is, I wouldn't mind if this movie was old. It's two years old. Yeah. Even if you should be made it what three years ago, that does better tech on TikTok than there is in this movie. <laughs> like there are better effects on TikTok than this film. Uh, you just just bonk. I, I would one hundred percent recommend watching this movie. I wouldn't. I honestly don't think that it's worth the hour and a half of your life. I would, because I think you'll get a lot of laughs and you'll be... Films like The Room, and there's so many bad, bad films. Like we watched a film on Amazon like two years ago called House Shark, and we got 15 minutes into that and turned it off because it was just bizarre and shit. And it was trying yeah. to be funny. It was, it's a movie that was trying to be a bit weird and a bit bad and a bit funny. Yeah, it was like, there's obviously The Room is a poorly made movie that became popular because it was bad and house shark was a movie that they tried to make bad hoping it would appeal to people because it was bad mm. but it was just genuinely bad as opposed to being comedy bad but yeah i wouldn't recommend what i honestly think it's worth watching if i'd have seen this movie before you'd have asked me to come around and watch it i wouldn't have done so <laughs> so if no you knew anything, if you knew anything about it yeah i mean if i did a trailer i probably would have said no okay <laughs> Um, Thankfully, I have been watching other stuff. I haven't just been watching Neil Breen. Yes, you. I. You. This will be a long rhyme conversation because you've been watching Wonder Vision. Wonder Vision. Was in Wonder Space Vision, not One Division. One Division. There's one or two divisions. It's One Division. Every time I say One Division, you all take the piss out of me, thinking I'm saying One Division. But I mean the Disney Plus TV series featuring Wonder Maxima and yeah. the Vision. All oh, right then. And. It, well, five episodes have been out so far. Mm-hmm. I'm all up to date. Watched the fifth one this morning. The first three are very much... If you would look at the main MC universe as the fourth wall, for instance, so any reference that would be breaking the fourth wall, it's set as if it's just a sitcom. In the first two episodes, it's the 50s, as if Wonder and the Vision are in a 50s sitcom, um, which I found really charming and entertaining. I honestly wouldn't have minded if the whole season had stayed like that. Um, some spoilers ahead. Uh, but by episode four, you realise that this is a fake reality that someone's constructed for Wonder and the Vision to be in. And then it starts to slowly roll, involve more stuff from the MCU. So you get Monica Rambeau, who's a comic or a character comic readers will know. Um, she's the daughter of the character from Captain Marvel. Mm. Um, disappeared during the snap. So there's lots of cool like linking it in to the main MCU in there. Um, it even brings back... Cat Dennis' character from Thor. I can't remember the character's name. The the research assistant, Natalie Portman's research assistant. Yeah. But it was cool to see her back in it. There's an FBI agent who's in Ant-Man, which is a really cool reference in there, where in Ant-Man, he asks Scott Lang, how do you do that card trick where you make the card appear out of nowhere in your hand? And at the start of the episode, when he meets Monica Rambeau, he does that with his FBI ID, and you're like, hey, call back. Not going to pretend I even noticed that. I saw it online and was like, that's okay, really cool. Because yeah. I haven't seen... I don't rewatch the Marvel movies as a general rule, to be fair. I tend not to rewatch them. So mm. I'm not so going to But it's been very good, very entertaining. I've seen lots of complaints. And from what I can genuinely see, the complaints tend to be, oh, I didn't understand the first episodes, or I wasn't part of the joke. Like, if you're a 17-year-old kid watching WandaVision, you don't have any 
cultural touchstone for 1950s American sitcoms. You're not getting the kind of I Love Lucy or Bewitched vibes from it, so it's not entertaining for you. And then as the episode's gone, it kind of moves to the decades, like 50s, 70s, 80s. And I guess the older you are, the more you'll appreciate that kind of stuff. So I get why some of the younger audiences may not be enjoying it, because they're like, I don't understand why it's entertaining. This yeah, if you, all the Marvel films are <clears throat> wacky, lots of characters with jokes and whippy one... Squippy... Uh, Squippy? Squippy? Squippy. Squippy one-liners, yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're all kind of very similar character-wise. You've said this before, yeah. how they find them all the same sort of character. But they're fun superhero movies. Yeah. And I then mean, WandaVision is like two superheroes, which I don't think were terribly popular compared to the others. All of a sudden, in like a house, being housewives and not knowing what's going on or... Or oblivious, like it's completely. It's like the same characters are playing housewives and house house husbands in a TV show, and it's. I can see why. Because I, I saw the trailers for it, and I was like, "What is this? What's this supposed to be?" I thought it was like meant to be a weird comedy, but no, there's actual story links to. Yeah, the, the heavy, like, episodes four and five pretty much involve the MCU and being like, "No, this is where it's set and how it's set and what's actually going on in the world," and you kind of get outside of like the bubble of the pretense of the show. And it's entertaining, I'm enjoying it. Uh, some people don't seem to like it, and I think it's because there's not much action in it in terms of, you know, oh, it's not punch thing in face, make quippy joke, hmm. which all the Marvel movies became to me after, you know, what? Winter Soldier. They just everyone, It just became like a cookie-cutter thing to me. Um, so I'm really enjoying it. Um, I don't know how it's going to end. I'm a little disappointed that when you find out who's causing the TV show thing, like pretend reality... I was hoping that because of the Fox merger and Disney owning Fox and all that kind of stuff, I was hoping this was how they were going to introduce some kind of X-Men related stuff to the universe. So I was hoping that Mojo had kidnapped Wanda and the Vision and was basically doing his usual Mojo thing of making them perform in this reality to entertain his viewers. And that would be great because it would be a great way to introduce some of the characters from Fox's X-Men franchise, the ones they want to keep. Yeah. Giant spoiler ahead for now, which they have done. Because in episode 5, Quicksilver appears. But it's not the Quicksilver from the MCU. It's Quicksilver from the Fox movies. So they're clearly incorporating stuff from the Fox merger. And it, to me, it's a bit of a wasted opportunity. Where I'm like, hang on. So I won't say who's responsible for the whole pretend sitcom reality. But the fact it's not Mojo was a bit like, ah, oh, that would have been a really cool way of doing it. But you've got that problem of introducing a character no one's seen or hinted at in the films being some sort of part or implication of something that's got to be part of the films. Because the Quicksilver isn't isn't the Quicksilver actor from Age of Ultron. No. He's, he's a more experienced, well-known actual actor. Doesn't sound, sounds mean. Um, <clears throat> from the first class films. Yeah. But he's been in American Horror Story and lots of other stuff. Um as a re more recognisable face, you're probably more likely to know him from the character than you are the character who's more tied into those films. I mean, I've not looked into it. I just assumed that the MCU Quicksilver actor didn't want to come back. And the guy who plays Quicksilver in the Fox movies fully embraced being Quicksilver and yeah. enjoyed being that character. So I just assumed it was a casting thing rather than deliberate choice. But I don't know. I haven't looked into it. Um, but WandaVision's been enjoyable. I'm enjoying it. Um... Yeah, I'd say check it out. I mean, I don't think you need to worry about introducing, like, do people know this character? Because no one knew half of the MCU before they were introduced. But when it was announced, though, they're making an Iron Man movie, 
I was remember being in my local comic book store, and everyone's like, "Really? Is this a joke? They're making a Showhead movie." Like, Iron Man was a joke before the MCU made it. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think that it really matters. That, like, oh, audiences don't know who Mojo is because the audience didn't know who the Vision was, or Wanda, or Captain America. And these characters they'd never heard of. Four, though, they they weren't mainstream characters. But I think if you're going to introduce a brand new baddie into the MCU with heavy implications, it would be in one of the films. See, I don't want it to be because that's the problem Agents of Shield had where they could only use like bit part characters. The reason I stopped watching Agents of Shield is because every time a character would appear, I'd be like, oh my god, like in I think it's the first episode, a uh, a black guy jumps out of a window and like cracks into the concrete and all shatters and I'm like, it's Luke Cage! Oh I got really excited. No, yeah. some random D list hero with similar powers. And oh, then right. a few episodes in there's a guy with fire powers, and I'm like, it's on fire! Ah! No, it's Scorch. And it was just like, no, just scroll down your Wikipedia list and find the worst one on there. It's going to be them. <laughs> who, so, who aren't we using? Who can we use? Yeah, that's why I stopped watching it, because it didn't feel connected to Universe. And apparently in the later seasons, it does feel slightly more connected. But I would like to watch a movie and go, oh, wait, that person first appeared in the, what's it called? Winter Soldier and Falcon series, or Bucking Winter Soldier, whatever it's called. Um... That would be cool because I'm like it's all for one universe then, which is one of the things people enjoy about comics, where you buy Avengers and something happens, and then that's referenced in She-Hulk, and then that's referenced in something else, and it makes it feel like a larger universe. I don't want the TV series to feel like cheap, low-budget versions of the MCU. It should feel like the MCU, and One Division does. Okay, um, I haven't watched any of it so far. I wasn't. I wasn't particularly interested, but I feel like I have to watch it because, well, pipe and word of mouth and, you know, like FOMO, I guess. But it's also been too many people have said, oh, it's definitely really good for, for new, unique reasons. Yeah, I mean, I'm almost sad that we only got three episodes of pretending it was a real sitcom. Because I was really enjoying this, like, send up of sitcom tropes featuring Wonder and the Vision. I thought it was really cool. Um, and now we've been to like, oh, let's link it to the MCU properly and explain what's going on outside of the fictional TV show. I'm a bit like, oh, it's a shame. I was enjoying the pretense. And now we get into the actual reasons of why it's happening. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely check it out at some point when I get Disney Plus again. I'll, I'll probably do what I always do, which is to wait for all the episodes to be out so I can binge watch it rather than waiting on a weekly basis, which I know is classic television. It might be supposed to be the whole point of like, you know, you've got these sitcom parodies and you wait every week, but I tend to wait till everything's out. I'd like to think that's the reason. It's just so that Disney will, you'll keep paying. If Disney dropped the entire series in one day, you'd pay for a month, basically what you do, yeah. watch it all and stop. Whereas if I want to watch it instead of today, well, I need to keep it for at least several months because you release it on weekly. That's what I did for Mandalorian. That's what I assume I was going to do for Mandalorian as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're... If you're not actively looking at kind of geek websites and kind of geek Twitter, you're unlikely to see any spoilers because it's not it's not this kind of massive phenomenon that everyone in the world's talking about. It's not like it's Game of Thrones where it's got this mass appeal because it's limited to a streaming service and you need to have that streaming service to watch it. So I don't think you're in it kind of spoiler danger really, other than when we talk about it on the podcast and I tell you the spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I don't think you're in. I don't think it would nearly affect your experience what enjoying it if you watch it. When it's all out. But. No, well, they hyped it up a bit too much by saying, oh, the, the, the cameo will be Luke Skywalker levels in Mandalorian Season 2. Spoiler, Luke Skywalker appears in Mandalorian Season 2. Um, and I was like, oh, Quicksilver. Oh, I don't give a shit. I, mean, I thought it was going to be like Thanos or... Do you know what I mean? Like, But I mean, Quicksilver being in it is, is relevant to Wanda. Um, Thanos, I guess, is... But he was in... This is a point. He was in the MCU movies for like 25 minutes. 
But I think it's a weird one because you've got like MCU fans and you've got Marvel fans and Wandering Quicksilver to me are Wandering Quicksilver. Yeah. So it, it, I care. Whereas if I guess if you've only seen Quicksilver in a movie and a bit and then he dies, you're like, oh, he's gone. And you, you haven't got an attachment to him to care he's back or to you don't really care who he is. Whereas I guess you do. So what I find weird about the MCU in general is that there's a weird balance between fan service for the fans of the comics and stuff and then kind of entertaining the audience that aren't into that stuff. And I guess this falls more on the side of let's make the Marvel nerds happy. Oh yeah, definitely. When you've when you've got the two characters they've got suddenly being in a fifties sitcom, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people were like, "What's this? This is weird. What's why is what is this? This is bizarre." There's a comic book series that Tom King wrote called The Vision, and Vision decides he wants to experience a normal life, so he builds himself a synthesized family, like wife, two kids, uh, and they move to the suburbs, and he tries to have a normal life. There's one scene where they go to a restaurant for like a family meal, but they don't eat. So they don't actually order any food. Well, they order the food, but don't want it. They'll just keep it at back. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and I was hoping some of those elements to get brought in. And there are some references. Um, a dog in the comic book gets electrocuted, and the vision turns him into a synthesized dog called Sparky. Um, <laughs> and that dog's in the series. So there yeah. are some the references to the comics, Tom King series in there. If you've not read the Tom King series, heavily recommend reading it. It's about 12 issues, and it's absolutely fantastic. So there are... They're decent characters. I mean, the Vision's been around for God knows how long, same with Wanda. There's lots of little things. So in the comics, Wanda's powers are a lot more expansive and a lot more destructive than they are in the MCU. In the MCU, she's basically like, oh, I've got twinkly fingers with some red power. And they're a bit, meh. Like, she moves stuff and it looks painful to do it. With, in the comics, her powers warp reality and when she throws energy, they're called hex bolts. And there's some kind of stuff where they try and layer that in, and it's like, oh look, that's this is the hex, that's the hex, and it, it's quite cool whether they've kind of expanded Wanda's powers. Um, kind of funny though, because it's happened out of nowhere. Like you see her at the end, what you see, what is she in Endgame, and she just still goes, ooh, magic fingers move things, and then Wanda goes just like, bam, power upgrade. So I'm intrigued how they're going to explain that and how it happened. Yeah, and um, so it's interesting if it is just meant to be a little side explanation of. You know, in games when they have DLC and it's just this is what this character did between episode two and episode three or whatever. It'd be interesting if it does have wider implications to explain a lot more stuff and build on it, or it is just meant to be this is what people experience during the snap. Because they're not quite dead and not quite alive, they're just removed from reality, I guess. Which is kind of worse because they're like removed and being existed. Are they are they in limbo? Because they were they existed to begin with, but because they were snapped away by the stones, are they in a limbo? And is this what meant to be the limbo supposed to be? They don't really explore, but one of the characters in it disappeared during the snap and then come back, obviously, when the Avengers win at the end of Endgame. Yeah. And that character just thinks she fell asleep. She's not aware that she wasn't around. Um, so I assume everyone who got snapped just didn't know they were gone, and then bam, they came back at the... Well, yeah, Sp- Spider-Man makes that little joke in Endgame, doesn't he, where he's just like... Oh, I was gone and I'm back again. Hello, what's happened? Yeah. Like, oh, they explained something and I've been gone for this long. They didn't really know. I like. Which must be a horrible. Yeah, he's brilliant, Spider-Man. Yeah, which must be a horrible, a horrible feeling for someone to go. You've been away for five years. Well, I suppose it'd be the same thing if you've been in a coma, wouldn't it? Yeah. Life's carried on and yours hasn't. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Whilst you've been watching. Well, one division you definitely recommend. Um, I've watched like nearly the entire, entire episode catalogue of Kirby Enthusiasm. Which until today I'd never seen an episode. Which is very funny. Kirby Fast is very good. I definitely recommend it. They're still making new episodes, which is good. He's been doing it for years and years and years, and they keep getting keep getting the seasons. 
uh, funded. So that's good. The episode that you made me watch earlier was a lot funnier than I think the clips I've seen of the show make the show look. Okay. Um, I was laughing constantly, and the clips I've seen, other than the memes and they use the theme at the end, uh, I was like, okay, that was much better than I what's, thought. What's it was weird is, is you don't you, I don't know, maybe you you amused more by it, but I rarely laughed during watching the show. I'm more entertained by it. It just makes me smile constantly when you're laughing out loud at certain stuff. I think so. It's just like really unexpectedly outrageous like when the kids put a swastika on their cushion cover he's made oh, yeah that's, like, the, oh that's, my God. that's the last episode like, of season 8 that was just like okay I did not did. <laughs> which is weird because when when you see it it makes perfect sense that it would happen based on conversations in the episode earlier but for some reason my brain just didn't put the two together until it happened and that, I guess that's why I find it hilarious <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I will definitely be watching more Kirby and Junior as much as yeah it's fun. a very good show very good show if you're a fan of like I wouldn't put Curb in that exact mould, but if you're a fan of like cringe, awkward comedy, Curb Enthusiasm is definitely like that, like The Office, like The British Office. Yeah, it's, it's very dry. But it's better. Like stuff like The British British Office, I've never liked because you're kind of like, you, like you're squirming and cringing at the things he says or Alan Partridge is a good example of that. And Curb Enthusiasm is a good example of that where they're saying these stupid, cringy things, but you're laughing not just being uncomfortable. Yeah, Alan Partridge is hilarious next to The Office. The Office. I prefer The American Office, which I guess because it's got actual jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, apart from that, I watched a load of zombie movies yesterday. I was like, I'm going to have a zombie movie day. One was terrible, and it was the classic buff, badass, brown haired, white guy kicking ass and never showing any other character other than just kicking ass. Yeah, it was boring. And the other one was a hashtag, uh, film, Korean film called Hashtag Alive, which was really, really good. I think the Koreans are K-pop, K-pop gifs and horror films. They're knocking out of the park right now. I mean, you've probably got more chance of getting me to watch another Neil Breen movie than you have of watching another Romero zombie film. Yes, he's, he's yeah, his latest, his last four Zombie. Do you know what's bad is if you actually technically look at all these zombie films, he's now I think made more bad zombie films, or probably fifty fifty. Then he has good zombie films. Does the Alien franchise then? Yeah, I would probably say Alien's probably eighty twenty in in favour of good films. No, no, sorry, I've seen bad films. Yeah, definitely more. I mean, well, after Alien, they all get worse. Yeah, Aliens, I think he's on par with Alien. No. But you do you, you have this discussion all day long, right? Alien is your favourite You could do a whole episode on me explaining why Alien is better than Go aliens. for it and we see if you can I mean, convince It's not anyone. my opinion, it's an explanation. Okay. <laughs> um, so I haven't really been watching too much stuff. Cinemas are still closed here, obviously. New films, nothing to watch, nothing to see. Um, well, I haven't really been, well, I hadn't been watching much. And I was sat there the other day thinking, I've got access to how many streaming services? And I'm sat here thinking... I want to watch them. I should have watched. Just jump in. Just pick a show based on its like you know description. Start watching. So I started watching a show on Apple TV Plus called Home Before Dark. That's based on a true story about a family who moved back to like the kind of small hick town that the dad grew up in. Dad was a reporter in New York and lost his job and had to move home. Uh, and his daughter's nine and she fancies herself a reporter as well. And she starts investigating like a murder and a cold case um, from when her dad was a child and his best friend got kidnapped and murdered and disappeared and they put someone in prison and she thinks he's innocent so she starts to investigate it. I was like, oh, we'll give it a go, see what I think. First episode finished, I immediately pressed player number two. Okay, that's and a I good sign. And I binged, what, six episodes in two days? 
Um, I just can't stop watching it. It's really, really compelling and really good. The kids in, the, in it have performed really well. There's one kid, I can't remember his character's name, um, but he's hilariously funny. Um, there's like an 80s themed prom at one point and he goes dressed with like a big chain around his neck. And very, very funny. So if you've got Apple TV+, Plus, I recommend checking that out. Okie dokie. Um, yeah, a lot of streaming services. There's a lot of good stuff on them. So there's bound to be something I can find on there. Um, but I need to watch more films and TV shows. So I spend far too much of my time just gaming. Well, you say gaming. And specifically say playing Total Warhammer 2. Yeah, Total Warhammer 2. Um, we both played The Medium recently. You did a review for Game Hype on that. I did. We had very different opinions on that. Yes. Um, you gave it 7? <laughs> like no, 90%. Oh, yeah, so 9, 9 out, out of 10. 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, was took a, I know it wasn't 8 out of 10, I was taking a guess of which one. Well, I'm not allowed to give things out of 10 because you like give me shit for it. And we're like, oh, 8 out of 10, guy. Like, well, I play a lot of games that are 8 out of 10. Yeah. Um, I was a bit bored by it. It didn't really grab me. And I think the problem is with a game like that, it's more, it's heavily story focused than gameplay focused, I think. That's fair. And because it didn't grab me, I wasn't paying attention, I didn't really care, I wasn't invested. So halfway through, I was like, I don't know who this person is. I, I kept getting confused between Richard and Thomas. Well, this there were two different characters. To me, to how you play horror games, and answers in the comments. Because you play horror games in the daytime, with stuff on in the background, and it joys me mental. No, 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 I don't have stuff on in the background. I guess there's background noise, like everyday noise that could happen. But I just play them as a, like I would play any other game. I play horror games, including the medium, only at night time, in the dark, curtains drawn, lights off, noise cancelling, headphones on. I'm just immersed in the That's game. That's probably why you thought it was better than it was, because you were already in a spooky mood. Well, the lights being, I think, spooky. It's just I don't want to have any... My surroundings hinder the gameplay experience. I'd rather have, maybe they did enhance it somewhat, but I still enjoyed the plot enough and the gameplay that is there enough for it to be like a good experience? Uh, I thought it was boring, I thought it was plodding, I thought the puzzles were lame, I thought the split screen thing was a complete waste of time. No, I really like that, I thought that added to the otherworldly sense of, if seeing our world and that world at the same time to me really heightened the strangeness, where if you'd just seen one or the other, I'd be like, oh, well now I'm in this, if you're completely immersed in one environment, it just becomes normal. So Raccoon City stops being scary after a while, because you're like, oh, well, there's just zombies. Whereas seeing the spirit world and the physical world, to me, and having them both at the same time helped the other world feel really creepy. I just thought there'd be more to it, rather than occasionally warp into one. Oh, there's a door open. Wait, it wasn't open. Go through the door, go back again. I just yeah, thought the, there'd be more to it in a puzzle sense or an atmosphere. The sense. puzzles, I mean, if you read the review, that's one of my complaints, that the puzzles are far too easy. There's one puzzle where you've got to go through four steps, but the answer's obvious at the start of the first step, and the game doesn't let you just skip to step D, so you've got to go like A, B, C, D, mm. puzzle solved. I'm like, well, I didn't need to. What did I have to do B and C when I'd already worked it out after looking at A? So that was a bit Yeah, it's like a game if you know the code to a safe in a game, but you can't know the code until the character knows the code. Yeah, it's so if you play through it again, you've got to go find the piece of paper with the code on it. Um, it was okay. It was okay, but I don't think it was any better than okay. But I'm grateful to play something a bit different, to play a new horror game. Also, I'm grateful to see uh, static camera angles Yeah, in the, in the medium, which was good. So you had many sections where the camera was in a fixed, in a fixed spot. Are you going to sneeze? <laughs> Fine, I'll keep that in. Um, where it was in a fixed spot, and obviously it was like classic Resident Evil or classic Silent Hill. Yeah, I've, I, it really, I mean, to me, that's 
part of the horror. Like watching towards a corner, having no idea what's behind that right angle, adds to the tension. The amount of times you must an evil when you open a door and you just see a door slowly open and a black screen. I've really got the aim button held down to yeah. the second. Yeah, and then you've got a cheap moment when there might be a zombie two feet away from you. Yeah. Um, but to me, I mean, the third part, the over-the-shoulder camera angle makes Resident Evil a lot less scary because you can constantly see what's ahead of you. Yeah, well, the thing is, though, it's weird. We've now got three different Resident Evils with three different camera styles because we've got classic Resident Evil with no with loading times into a new room. So all of a sudden, whatever's in the room, bam, it's there. There's a, a hunter there. You're like, oh, Jesus Christ, and you might run out the door again. Yeah. So you're like, oh, I'm not facing you, and you know the hunter's going to be back in that same spot. Then you've got um, Resident Evil 4, which obviously spawned into five and six, the more over-the-shoulder... Crap ones. Actual ...action camera. <laughs> and then you've got seven and eight, which are now going to be first-person, which works a more scarier because there's something behind you. You don't really know. It, so in the original Resident Evil, so if something was behind you, you just know it's behind you. Yeah. But if something was slightly off-camera, <clears throat> you wouldn't know it was there, so you would risk it running into the new camera angle and running yeah. into well, it. Well, you'd hear it shuffling around. And but, just stand still. But you didn't know how far into the next screen it was. Yeah. So you're going to go over that camera transition and it's either in the corridor or was it next to you? So you were like, crap, crap, crap. Yeah, two and three, everything is in front of you, but you don't really know what's behind you. It might be a little bit, it might be a hint of something behind you if the camera gets there. But seven and eight, of course, when you have to open a door, you are fully peeking through that little yeah. doorway and door, door, you know, little a little gap in the door to try and see what's possibly there. Yes. Um, seven saved the franchise as far as I'm concerned well I think well four did but seven definitely did <laughs> four helped it into new boundaries but seven because Resident Evil 6 was I would say me, it was terrible four saved the franchise financially from a, is it a viable franchise standpoint even though I don't like it seven saved the spirit of Resident Evil yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, pretentious as that sounds <laughs> no that's true because six if six was I think six was actually really successful well, it's one of the most highest selling games. Just because each one of the campaigns seemed to harken back to a different point of the franchise mm. history. So like Leon's campaign felt very Resident Evil 2. I liked Jack's campaign. Jake, Jack, what's Wesker's kid called? Jake, I think. Jake Wesker. Yeah, yeah Jake sounds good. I like him because that was my Resident Evil 3, the original Nemesis, is my favourite Resident Evil. And having a creature stalk you through the game was great. I'm like, yeah, it's like that one. But because that enemy was crap, Daniel and I nicknamed him Nemesissy. <laughs> because he was just rubbish, but every time he'd appear, instead of being like, "Oh my god," I'd be like, "No, it's sissy," and we shoot. Um, yeah, so the medium, the medium, harked back to some of those Resident Evils. Yeah. It was, it was, it was okay. It had a trigger warning. That was that's I put a screenshot of that in the review because I found it hilarious. What was it a trigger warning for? They put a trigger warning saying that the game, because the game deals with the supernatural and spookiness and stuff, yeah. they didn't want to offend people of certain faiths that may be upset by the idea that there's a different afterlife to the one that their religion subscribes to. I found the trigger warning hilarious because if you're that sensitive in your faith that playing a spooky game with ghosts is going <laughs> to offend you, go sit in a corner because you can't, you're can't. you not equipped for the world. Yeah, I did like... Um, we won't go into too many spoilers, but there's a character she meets who's a ghost in the spirit world and you can't see her face. It's behind like a, like a sort of Vienna mask... Well, death mask, yeah. Yeah, death mask. Death mask. Um, which was a really good look because it immediately adds like a spookiness and a creepiness. Even though you know it's a normal human being, you're not seeing that face. You're not no seeing expression. the emotion or expression or the person behind the mask, so to speak. So that was good. It's on Game Pass, so, you know, when it's free, if yeah. you've got a Game Pass, why not what go and to play it? And if you are into a horror fan, I'll definitely go and play it because it's not... It's not... 
it's not too action packed like Resident Evil Four could be could be yeah. seen, and it's not too trial and error and stealth trial and error like Alien Isolation. The stealth sections suck. Or Manhunt, not Manhunt. Manhunt. Outlast. I don't know why I get those two confused. Like Outlast, for example. Oh, Outlast was awful for trial and error. It was, yeah. but it was basically, I'm scared. Oh, I got spotted. I'm scared. I got spotted. I'm less scared. I got spotted. Fuck it. I'm sprinting. And yeah, you just run. And and that's what I got for off the game. Yeah, yeah like, you oh. just run and go. Well, I'm going to get caught. I just have to do it again. So I think it's it's a nice mixture of atmosphere and creepiness and visuals, and the story, doing what an action action sequences can't do. Yeah. Because in Resident Evil Four, I could put that on the hardest difficulty level and. I'm perfectly fine against all the enemies at this point. Well, There's no horror because I'm like, right, I know how to tackle this. Yeah, it's no, it's no scarier because it's not hard. It's yeah. just harder. Yeah, you can't enhance the horror with difficulty, can you? No. Um, so medium was good. I definitely recommend it. Um, it's not all we played together. Well, not together. No, we it isn't. We also played Nights and Bikes. Nights and Bikes was a great little game. It it was a bit long. Some of the chapters were a bit like, oh. yeah, but. Just the song at the start, but I want to ride my back. Was like the opening thirty seconds of that made me go. I play this game. Like I started playing it by myself. It's on Game Pass. It's on Xbox, and just that one little bit in the first like two minutes. It's clearly designed to play co-op. So I stopped mm. playing it. and was like Neil, let's play this together. Yeah, Cheers. Nice and Mike's was good. It's a game set in the eighties. Yep, in the eighties on a tiny British Channel island. Yeah. Um, which I don't even know if that island's real. I thought we could check. No, I could look it up. Um, um, about two girls. You become best friends and go on a magical adventure, and it's in, it's sort of implied that the adventure doesn't exist and it's all in their heads. Yeah, you, you always want to work out like, is this really happening, or are the girls just imagining it? And then there are some things that suggest it is happening, and others that make it seem like it's not. So no. you're always kind of not sure. Yeah, this wonderful like kiddie Goonies style adventure, and it was there was some combat in it which was very simple but fine. Yeah, there was a puzzles in it which were simple and fine. Humor was really good. The two kids are very funny. Yeah, like every time the chapter would start to feel overly long, there'd be a bit of dialogue that would make us chuckle. And yeah, like, <laughs> carry on. Um, Nights and Bikes is on Game Pass as well. Yep. I presume it's on Switch and PC and PlayStation, so definitely check them out. Cool. Definitely check it out because it was good. It was a fun little co-op game that was just kind of the right length. Some sections a little bit, little bit too long, yeah, or well, maybe we were just impatient. And the, just, the camera's not great in certain parts so especially when you're playing co-op and you're kind of stretching the screen as far as it'll mm. go sometimes you'll lose where your character is or you're like where are we supposed to go and you'd run around for five minutes to then only go wait it's obviously that over there how did we miss it But yeah and one person would have to run back because the camera wasn't you got stuck because of the camera basically yeah, but classic old school co-op problems which yeah. you think we'd be beyond in 2021 no but apparently not there were loads of games that have done that where we just splits the screen suddenly yeah I don't know why it couldn't do that but I guess I it would involve programming it differently if you play it online and on co-op if you're playing on the same TV, you wouldn't do that. I guess it's just easier. So there's one camera. Yeah, it looks stay together. Because there are lots of... You, you have abilities where you'd have to do one ability, then I'd have to do another to get past an area yeah, or stage. Yeah, like not yeah. one character can't do everything. No, no, no. But I was thinking about this. When we were doing some of the challenges, I was like, us doing this together as co-op partners works really well. Would it be fiddling and annoying if I was playing this solo? Yeah, because I bet you have to swap... To each yep. character, press the button, it swaps the character. It does, yeah. But I would just some of those challenges, I'd be like, oh, that would get really old. So yeah, definitely, definitely a co-op, a co-op game if you're going to play it. Uh, it was great. It was on Game Pass. Um, do you want to talk about the Resident Evil Village trailer? I know everyone's obsessed with that tall lady's breasts and being stamped on, which is weird. I mean, but a joke at this point. I didn't know that tall ladies and the internet was like a whole vibe. I guess I should have with Rule Thirty Four. Mm. Um, but we watched the Royal Rumble and Rhea Ripley made me realise, yes, giant ladies are definitely a, <laughs> definitely a thing that I could. Um, 
It looks great. It, yeah. It's it's more spooky, scary Resident Evil. Sold. I, it's weird that you play as the same character from Seven because part the parts of them I didn't like when like you get your arm chopped off and then you magically turn back on and I was like, okay, Resident Evil, you're pushing it a bit. And hopefully Eight will have a better end game boss than Seven because you only shit part of Seven. Uh, yeah. If you're not going to have a challenging boss, have like a challenging section before it. Yeah. But where it all kicks off. But Eight, everyone loves Resident Evil Village. For a few reasons. Number one, it's very reminiscent of four. There's a spooky, there's a crappy little village with villagers, or like rural village, poor wooden village. There's a spooky Castlevania horror vampire like castle. Yep. They've immediately fell in love with Busty Lady of the Mansion, who's like nine foot six or something ridiculous. And she's all very flamboyant and smiley. And like, do you know, there's like, there's this big grin on their face that's not quite friendly and it's not quite psychotic. It's somewhere in between. I'm curious. Do are women who watch that trailer fetishizing the crap out of the giant seven foot boob lady or nine foot boob lady, how tall she is? <laughs> or is this just something completely unique to blokes and we're all going, whoa, big boob lady? I definitely think it's a meme um, that we're not being aware of. Like a weird, oh no, but, chase me, chase me, don't get me meme. And okay. then you've got the, because she's got these vampire daughters maybe daughters spooky supernatural and they're movie. all like they're all like very happy almost like you're a plaything to them and i yeah. guess that's appealed to some guys for the that very type of stuff you know dracula they're like dracula sisters type thing yeah going down yeah. there which is cool i mean it's resident evil it looks spooky i'm gonna play it give me take my money now except don't take my money now because i'm not pre-ordering it and i don't oh, well, want, I, pre-ordered. I don't want re versus oh it's fucking shit shit co-op thing they've tacked on as if it well, I don't know, because it's not even like it's more expensive. It's like a freebie I don't want. Because the game's the cost of the game. Like, it's not like they've gone, oh, it's 79.99 because you're getting two games. It's like, I have this crap tacked on mode, like the last one from the Resident Evil. It looked rubbish because for some reason it's got this weird cell shaded colour scheme to it that doesn't look like any other Resident Evil. It's almost like a comic book, like the way it's drawn. And then you watch it for, I'm a kid you not, you watch it for about 20 seconds and it's clearly just run around blindly like Call of Duty just blasted each other. Yeah. Shit. And one it's like then I can be Leon, you can be Claire, Frank can be Nemesis. That was that a fair point. Right. Like it's, it's they it's, tried that before. They've tried the amount of rubbish Resident Evil multiplayer games that have come out recent over the last few years. Yeah. That's died immediately. Free ones, terrible ones. Um they should have they should release it a month before the game comes out. Because at least then people will go, Oh my god, I've pre ordered the game. I'll get to play Resident Evil versus and then if it dies and it starts in a month then who cares? Your game's out. Yeah, the game's yeah. out because I can get. No one's going to play that when Village is out. We're going to get nagged to play it, and Bob's going to say no. I just doesn't like. No, I don't play it. I'll try it, sure, because you've got to try it to have an opinion. If you want to be a critical geek, you've got to try it. I guess. Or I could just sit here and not know, and you can explain to me why it's crap, and then you won't play it. <laughs> um, so yeah, Village looks good. You've got like lots of Resident Evil Four slash Resident Evil imagery, spooky mansion. But it's a castle at the top of a hill with villages, which is one and four. You know what? The giant, the, hang on, the giant fat merchant who he looks giant. is identical. The, the, the case, the attaché case, and the way you upgrade your weapons, which wasn't in seven, is identical to Resident Evil 4. See, I it's think it's exactly eight, the same. I think eight looks good, but that whole event sucked. The event was crap. It was all hyped up as an anniversary event, and they announced fuck all of. I've got to always take teasing our Nintendo friend Mark who's been on the podcast before, about how crap Mario's anniversary was and how that's not how you do an anniversary. Mm. And then this Resident Evil Village event comes along. Oh, Resident Evil anniversary. I'm like, it got it's worse. <laughs> like, all that trailer basically... Now, bear in mind, I'm still excited for it, but all that trailer basically said was, 
Or in Resident Evil 8, you can do things you could do in all the old ones. Oh, yeah, the, the embarrassing scene where he blocked with his hands. Yeah. And he was kind of like... Eh. But blocked about ten minutes before the character swung. Yeah. Was like, well, I look silly. And then he shoots the red barrel, but the character misses. I watched this in, like, slow motion. He shoots... He looks at the barrel, and then for no reason looks away from the barrel, shoots and misses, then fires another bullet, but the gun is not looking at the barrel when it explodes. And I was like, who left that in? In, yeah. Because everyone noticed it. Well, yeah, and it's, it's when this kind of stuff happens, people will go through it frame by frame to look for stuff, because yeah. it's what nerds do. Um, but yeah, the whole of it, I thought the whole event sucked. Um, and I was trying to work out, when was the last time a game, a like, storied game franchise had an anniversary? And actually delivered anything worthwhile. And the only thing I could think of was Final Fantasy, but they didn't deliver anything game-wise. It was just a bunch of cool merch to buy. Because it's um, yeah, they revealed new information about the film. They've already revealed. They revealed the versus mode just looks shit. Yep. They revealed lots about Village and a release date, which is fine. That's good. There was a free demo, which was only on PlayStation Five, which was a little frustrating. Because only one of us has got a PlayStation Five in this grand era of tough luck bots have got them um they released information on a ridiculous amount of expensive legendary and collector's editions which you look at 90 percent of it and just go tat 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 figurine okay tat all i'd want is an art book and the figurine was chris why was he not the tall lady what was it chris i don't know and it was chris redfield in a first of all he's in the last 20 seconds of resident evil 7 and he's probably going to be more prominent in eight. Fair enough. But this is him in a jacket. And the problem with that statue is, is because you don't know what Chris is doing yet in the game, that statue is only cool after you finish the game, where you then know what Chris has done. Yeah, so you'll if he's done something cool. Go, oh, I wish I bought that edition because of the statue. Yeah, but... and if, like if if Chris was a complete waste of time in it, you go, oh, I got a statue with Chris now. Where immediately they need to release a statue with that woman. Oh, they'll, they'll, they'll exist. The, where you know people can like. Put TikToks themselves being trodden on. Um, Kier will make one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, but then it's like, don't release the statue separately. Because I'd buy the art book if I like the game. And the rest of it's just like a map, what we do, coins or Ugh. logos this and all sorts of usual rubbish. As, I guess as gamers, as, a, as an industry and a community, we all kind of start to slide towards digital content. Like 99% of the games I play or buy now are all digital. Mm. Um you're going to have to give me something really special for me to buy it physically. And a lot of special editions don't do that. I would still say the best collector edition of a game was the Legend Edition of the Halo 3. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a big Halo fan, but mm. for the price you paid, 130 quid, you got the game, some gubbins, in-game content, and a statue of the Master Chief's helmet that was a decent size. And I'm like, that looks cool to have on display. A lot of this stuff is like, like the Resident Evil 3 remake, Legend Edition had, what it was called, Legend Edition had a statue of Jill, but... The issue is, you look at the picture, and then you get four like seventy-six spheres. That new, where you're like, is it gonna look good, or is the paint job gonna suck? Yeah. And like, am I gonna get a polystyrene bag? Maybe. And you, I'm nowadays too worried about how much I'm spending on this game physically, because I don't know what the quality looks. Does the content's gonna be? And then by that point, they're probably all been bought. Yeah. By super fans, and they're too expensive, to, in my opinion, to just throw down a bit of money on and to take that risk. Especially on a game like Resident Evil, that's a single player probably play it for a couple of times yeah. at most yeah. because again it's not that you won't enjoy the extra content you get it's that the game is doing this but I'm buying it and how long of a kind of gaming life has that game got because Resident Evil 7 I haven't played the DLC but it's on Game Pass now so I'm going to 
Um, I'm like, well, I played it once. Not going to play it again. So if I had a statue of whatever, I'm like, well, I, I, can't, I don't care about the game anymore. Yeah, I feel like it's the statues have got to be franchise-related or iconic-related. I'm not going to think of Resident Evil Village. Okay, it's not out yet, but I'm not going to think of Resident Evil Village and immediately think of Chris in Chris. a brown jacket with his brown top on and his brown hair and his dark clothing. It's a rubbish figure. Land statue, yeah. Put a figure in of nine-foot-tall, busty, yellow-dressed, pale, goth vampire woman with her giant, fancy lady of the manor hat. That's that's in unique looking. Yeah, and, and when you see that, like, half-sexy, naked lady, boobs, whatever, aside... Just the fact that that's clearly representative of that game. So if you'd bought every single Resident Evil statue edition up to this point, and I walked in your house, I'd look at that and go, Village, that's from Village. Hmm. If I see Chris, I'm going to go, which one's that from? Chris is in so many. You might not, and he's so generic looking, you might not even know it's from Village. No, you might not. I mean, I, the problem is it's also a new version of Christopher Redfield. Christopher Redfield, it's very formal. Um, Christopher Redfield of Stars, did you do? Um, we don't know what he's done in the game. And he did do anything in and 7. He just appeared at the end. Capcom don't have a great track record on build quality. I bought the Dead Rising 2 Collector Edition. And you got a big figure of a fat zombie. And I was like, this looks amazing. It looked great in the box. I remember getting it home. Taking it out of the box. And the joints at the ankle to the foot. There was like a half centimetre gap between where the foot ended and the shin started. And you could oh. just see the hinge. Like the, the articulation point. And I was like... I have not just spent that much money on this. <laughs> and I worked for game at the time and I took it back in after finishing the game over the weekend. So I took it on Friday night at the weekend. I finished the game, went back on a Monday morning and went, boss, can I return this? He's like, have you opened it? I'm like, yeah, I've completed the game too. And he took it out for Christ's sake, Ryan. Why do you always tell me the blatant truth when it makes it hard? I'm like, oh, I just want to return this because the build quality is shit. Yeah. I was like, I'll trade it in if I have to, but I'd rather just return it because look at this. And he was like, Ryan, I, oh, let me have a look. And then he took it out of the box and went, yeah, fine, have a refund because of how crap it was. So it's like, well, I, I don't trust the build quality enough to risk it. It's a risky purchase on something that's meant to just sit there and look nice. Because if it didn't look nice, you don't want to look at it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely putting down on the kind of collection editions I buy. Yeah. And from what I've seen of this one, definitely not one I'm taking the plunge on. No. Yeah, it's not been the only reveal. Um, we're not going to talk about this too much because I will go on in length and length and length and length and length. Oh, and then I, this is going to be. And that. then I feel like we'll go on about Warhammer as a franchise, which I, I want to do a. I want to do a, a podcast on in general, just talk about our love for Warhammer. So that's me talking about the Skaven for an hour. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> and me talking about how I don't care about forty k um, and Age of Sigmar. In the far future, there is only war. It's great. 40k trailers are amazing. If you want to feel violent and horny, watch a 40k trailer. <laughs> Especially that night edition one, where he's like, this fight for universe awakens forgotten enemies. And I'm just like, let me murder things. It's amazing. That, to be fair, Space Marine came out years ago in the 360. That's a really, really fucking good game. I bought that in Steam recently off like a CD key website. For like one pound fifty, <laughs> it's clearly a dodgy code or a code they've had lying around. But that is a bargain and a half. It was and the Dawn of War two trailer, where it's an Eldar talking over the top about like the variations of war and emotions as stuff's going on in the background. Ah, oh, brilliant! I think I think everyone everyone without exception would love forty k if they just tried to get into the law because I remember working for Workshop and I've been doing the hobby for years and people will kids will come in or people will come in and go. 
who are the good guys? And it's always like, oh, you sweet summer child. Because there aren't any. Everyone's a horrible, murderous son of a bitch in the 40k universe. Mm. No one's nice. Like, the closest to nice you get are the Tau. But they're basically the British Empire going like, hello, greater good, do what we say. No, oh, die then. Like, it's it's basically do what we say. Like, kill. <laughs> everyone's horrible. Yeah, it's it's weird how... We, we said we weren't going into Warhammer, so we went too much. But it's weird how Warhammer is a franchise that, to me, if you'd never read or cared about Warhammer and I was going to tell you why it's so good the tabletop game is the thing that everyone knows about but to me it's the least interesting concept and part of the, the franchise I mean, that's heresy because, but yeah well for, because it other than the army books it doesn't go too much it tells you a little bit of lore in the army books but you, the books are fantastic for Warhammer they go so deep into the story and why these different races and factions and groups are so nice and evil and entertaining and so yeah, what they I mean, are heresy jokes aside the tabletop game has the highest barrier to entry because it's like, oh, I need to work out what the hell I'm doing, buy a rule book, buy the models, buy... It's a lot of effort to start. Mm. So I can put it off. Whereas playing Total War or Space Marine or Vermintide is a small investment of time and money comparatively. And you just go... I mean, you ain't getting a 40k or Fantasy Army or Age of Sigmar for uh, 50 quid. Whereas you can have hours of fun on Vermintide and get to know the world. Um, So... I get that. Yeah, but then when you buy an army, you've got to have someone to play against. You know, you buy an army and, you know, you go, oh, I bought my army, I bought, you know, know, Blood Angels, and I bought them all and I painted them, and I've got the the rules, and I've figured out the rules, and then you go, oh, I need an army to fight against. Oh, yeah. And if you go, if you only know, let's say you and I do Warhammer, and you've got Skaven, and I've got Greenskins, well, we're going to be, it's going to be Greenskins versus Skaven every single time we battle. Well, you say that, I've probably battled Lee, my friend Lee, more than anyone else in the history of our war game and hobby. And a lot of our early battles, we were both said it was my Skaven versus his undead. But like any hobby, I'm like, them wood elves look cool. And Lee's like, I like them dwarves. And Lee probably has more armies than anyone under the sun. Okay. Buying, I mean, it's ridiculous. So you end up kind of going, oh, well, I'll buy this faction. But again, we're notoriously bad at actually getting our stuff finished and painted. Um, but that's the high that but that barrier to entry has suddenly got even higher because you've suddenly gone well I like this army but now I feel like I need a second or a third or I like this one and then you're just starting back to that start point the again going, yeah yeah. Um, yeah so we're going to talk about Total Warhammer 3 which I'm very excited for the trailer was released a few days ago and had a very obvious reveal and a bit of a, a shock reveal in it at least, at least how Warhammer fans saw it you know what was shocking the absence of the Great Horned Rat why wasn't he in this rainbow? Why wouldn't he? Because he's the Great Horned Rat. Well, Clues in the then. name. Great, well, there you go then. Great Horned Rat. Uh, is he making Warhammer great again? No. <laughs> he's not. He's always great. He's never stopped being great because he's always been there. Because he's the Great Horned Rat and the Skaven will take over because the Skaven are the best. Well, Ryan, if you want to hear more about the Great Horned Rat, where can you catch up with it's the like Great Horned Rat? Goodness, if, you, <laughs> if you accepted the Great Horned Rat into your life. <laughs> um... Yeah, so we'll talk again on Total Warhammer 3 and whatever we've played. Maybe one death vision will be finished by then. Yes, I mispronounce it. I no, know. no, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bad name if you just talk it. Well, one division. And you go, oh, that's the second division. Randomly go back to it. All of the opening title sequences that are like set in the universe of one division are fantastic, especially when they change. Like The initial one in the 50s is okay. Hmm. The one when the show episode set in the 80s is amazingly cheesy and retro. So it's if it, hopefully it's on YouTube by itself. But 
I watched it twice in a row. I just rewound to watch it again because oh, okay. it was so ridiculously perfect of its time. Well, well, talking of ridiculously perfect, that's us, and we'll have to go now. We will. <laughs> um, we are, of course, on Twitter, and of course on iTunes. And did you lose this then? No. <laughs> like, we're of course on Twitter. <laughs> it's like where else are we? <laughs> um, I like momentarily completely forgot my own Twitter hashtag, which is at critical underscore geeks on Twitter. We are there. Uh, the Twitter site. Um, we're on Anchor. We're on iTunes. Um, you can email us criticalgeekspodcast at gmail.com. Do you think that horror games should be played in the nighttime with the curtains drawn, the lights off, the cat put out, and every other distraction? Or. Just like a film, maybe? Can you Or a TV show? Can you play it any time of the day? Wrong. I like you just said wrong then, right? In... Play it wrong. Yeah. All right, then play you it wrong. play it wrong, or you play it right. All right. And on that note, we'll see you later. <laughs>